Monday was sizzling hot at Madison Square Garden when the Rangers took down the Devils, the second best team in the Eastern Conference. The Blue Shirts, Molly, a four-game win streak, are a little hot themselves. Yeah, I don't know about hot, but at least it's a season-high win streak. They have not had four wins in a row yet this season until now. So I think the Rangers are just trying to get two points every single night, no matter how it happens, no matter how it comes to be. That's just the ultimate goal, and and that's the simple mindset the Rangers need to have to turn this season around, I think. One guy who was Mr. Devil and got two points many times and won three Stanley Cups is Ken Danico and the MSG Sports Net Devils analyst. Ken Danico is going to join us on this episode. Lots to do, and it's all coming up next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Those highlights you heard courtesy of MSG Network after a New York Rangers overtime win over the New Jersey Devils, further confirming New York is better than New Jersey. I've tried to tell people over and over it's better. Molly might fight that with me as a girl originally from Jersey, now making her way to New York. Don't at me. New York is better than New Jersey. Period. No, no quarrels there. I am in a complete agreement. Wow. There's, okay. See, it's New, York or, it's New York or nowhere. If you ask me, let's Sorry. go. When the girl from Jersey says it, it's confirmed true. Cause a lot of people have told me, and listen, Jersey, I guess could be better to raise a family. Cause it's bigger homes, a little bit more space. You have a driveway. You don't have alternate side parking four days a week. Like I do here, but, New York's better. Anyways, that's beside the point. It's Jake Brown here alongside Molly Walker. The Rangers did take down the Devils. New York took down New Jersey. So why don't we talk to Mr. Devil later in the show? Ken Danico from MSG Sports Net, the Devils color analyst, 20 years with the Devils, 40 years with the organization, which is insane. And uh, he will join us later in the show. Molly, this roller coaster ride. I mean, we every week it's like, oh, they have to win this one. Now four wins in a row. They beat the Devils two goals in seven seconds. If you left your seat to hit the bathroom, you probably missed something. What a game on Monday. And after losing the Devils two weeks ago, this is a hell of a way to respond. I think that the Rangers have had a problem stacking wins this season in general, which is one of the stark differences from last season to this one. Last season, they were stacking three, four, five, six wins as if it was second nature to them. And this four-game winning streak is a season high. And really the only way that the Rangers are going to salvage this season is if they go on a little bit of a run here or continue to stack wins like this in bunches. It'll just be crucial. But they have already made up some ground in the Metropolitan Division. They are still trailing the Devils, who are at the top by a long shot. Um, But that's because the Devils are just 
definitely no joke. I, I mentioned it the last time we were on the podcast after they lost the after the Devils beat the Rangers the first time in the first meeting. But I think that the Rangers are starting to look at it in a more simple way. Two points. That's all they need to get every single night, no matter how it comes. Doesn't matter how they get there, whether if it's a come from behind win or if they defend a lead, they just got to get the two points. And and that's really all that matters at this point in time for the Rangers. And you never know what you're going to get in this game because it was two nothing five minutes in Molly. Then it's two one three one. And then the the Devils get a penalty shot and you're like, this thing's about to be over already. And the Devils are about to blow out the Rangers again. Igor gets a stop, a little bit, a combo of his stick and, and his foot all in one. Uh, poke from, check. Yeah, a little <laughs> poke check. And that turns the game around because less than two minutes later, two goals, seven seconds, and then Heedle wins it in overtime. This team showed resilience. This is a team that's blown two to three goal leads before. This time they come back from two or nearly three if that penalty shot were to go in. And we're seeing a team playing together and everyone getting involved. And it's a fun product of hockey to watch. And you couldn't say that about two to three weeks ago. And I actually thought it was pretty interesting how after that missed penalty shot from Jack Hughes that Larry and I were talking about this in the press box, he faded to the background a little bit. He was absolutely electric at the start of, of the game and he turned it back up toward the end of the game as well. But during that second period back and forth where the Rangers definitely did have the upper hand. Hughes kind of lost a little bit of confidence there. It was pretty clear. And and I think that's just a byproduct of him still having the young mistakes inside of him, even though he is in the midst of this unbelievable breakout season. So I think that Ranger fans can take that and see that obviously their young talent is still working through said growing pains as well. And it doesn't just go away altogether right away. And even Jack Hughes is still a work in progress in that regard, even though he is absolutely lighting it up this season. <laughs> yeah, he really is. I mean, that that backhander was uh, tremendous. No, filthy. Uh, yeah. Absolutely I mean, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, put that on put that on Sports Center after having Linda Cohn on last week. Uh, they made it through the tough stretch. We talked about going to Vegas, boom, win easy. Going to Colorado, boom, win easy. Being that, I mean, Devils, boom, win easy. Not easy, obviously, uh, both in Colorado and against the Devils. Coming up, Maple Leafs Thursday, come to the Garden at the Flyers, at the Blackhawks, and then at the Penguins before the Islanders come to MSG. And we drop another episode of Up in the Blue Seats next week. Well, we'll have Ken Danico join us in a few minutes, but let's, before that, Molly, go to our subtext questions. I know they missed you. They missed chiming in. Uh, so let's go to them. Apparently, everyone has asked this. What is the deal with Vitaly Kravtsov? That's the question. I think at this point, it's safe to infer that Gerard Gallant does not trust Vitaly Kravtsov. That's a fair assessment for a coach that's trying to turn this season around. Gerard Gallant makes his decisions. Everything that he does is in the name of winning games. And when you've got a player who has struggled to stay on the ice, who is still a work in progress and is further behind everybody else in terms of his development, it's hard to fault him for not wanting to play Vitaly Kravtsov. But at the same time, this season is going to be a complete waste if they don't find out what they have in Vitaly Kravtsov. He's on for one year 
Yeah, he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the season. Hypothetically speaking, if they were to let him, if this trend that they're on right now, they're not going to know what they have in him. And if they let him walk at the end of the season and he goes elsewhere and he gets top line minutes, top power play minutes, and he emerges as this offensive force that he was in Russia, I mean, well, then the Rangers are... SOL. And that would be really unfortunate and kind of just plays into this trend that the Rangers have been on of of mismanaging their their top draft picks and and their high-end talent. And that would be unfortunate. So the question is, is obviously now that they're winning, Gallant isn't going to change his personnel. So I think it'll take another losing streak or an injury for Vitaly Krasov to to crack this lineup right now. So it's a balancing act and and it's it's kind of tough. It's a tough situation for Gerard Gallant because he is just trying to win games. And and right now they're finally kind of back on that track. And and Vitaly Krasov is just too much of a high risk at this point in his eyes, I'm sure. And for the 90% of listeners that don't know what SOL means and are looking up and they're like, Sol, it means shiitake mushrooms out of luck is what it means. SOL. So there you go. Larry Antis and Gerard Russomano want to know when will Sammy Blay be gone? What is the obsession with Blay? Well, that's not very nice. Uh, yeah, not very nice. And and Sammy Blay is a very interesting case because last season, right before his ACL injury, he looked like he had a really high ceiling. He looked like he had an offensive upside to him. And if he didn't get hurt, it looked like he was going to be a real great bottom six contributor. I think that he's still not 100% since that injury. That's a really tough injury to to work back from um, and start feeling like the player that you once were. So I think that's definitely a factor for Sammy Blay. He's still looking for his first goal with the Rangers. And the obsession with Sammy Blay is that he was part of a, of a, of a pretty bad trade. Obviously, everybody knows that Pavel Buchnevich and the player that he is, the player that he was with the Rangers and what he's been doing in St. Louis, the trade was just extremely one-sided. Sammy Blay being the feature return in that trade is what makes the Rangers' obsession. The Rangers are not going to take Sammy Blay out of the lineup because that's almost like admitting 110% defeat on that trade. And maybe if the Rangers were able to get a first round pick out of that trade, it might've been received a little better, but because it was just a second round pick and then Sammy Blay, who hasn't been the impact player that the Rangers were probably hoping that he would be, it just makes the trade look extremely one-sided and not a good look, I guess you could say. So that's where the obsession comes from. Um, is the fact that he was in that trade with Pavel Pavel Buchnevich, who is just tearing it up in St. Louis and just is the player that everybody knew that he was in New York when he was on the top line on the KZB line with with Kreider and Zibanejad. But I I feel for Sammy Blay because obviously he's still working back from that ACL injury and and that's a tough one to to fully turn around from. Yeah, I mean, you said tearing it up. I was going to say to Torres ACL. Some guys just take longer than others to recover. It's it's not easy. It's the three most feared letters in sports. And, you know, we see it almost every week in the NFL. Frank Rothel wants to know, are the Rangers wasting their time and attempting to accrue cap space since they will have no chance at advancing, even if they make the playoffs? Wow. A way too early prediction there. I think that's that's definitely a little harsh, um, especially because the Rangers are definitely there's still so much time in the season. You never know what's going to happen. For all we know, the Devils could go on a 13 game losing streak. Y- you really you just never know 
what's going to happen. Obviously, the Metro is so tight, so competitive, and the Rangers have made up some ground. They're only one to three points separated from the surrounding teams, you know, around them. They are trailing the Devils by a lot, but but that's neither here nor there. But I don't think it's a waste of time. It can never be a waste of time, especially when you look at what the Rangers were able to do last season with the additions that they brought in at the trade deadline. It made the world of difference. And you never know who could be coming in at the trade deadline, what moves Chris Jury has up his sleeve when that time arrives. And it could be the difference between a short playoff stint and a long playoff stint. And I think that's 100% what happened with the Rangers last season. I think Andrew Kopp, Tyler Mott, Frank Vetrano, even Justin Braun made the world of difference for the Rangers in the last season's playoff run. You never know if Patrick Kane could be a Ranger. Boom, take a shot. We got our Patrick Kane reference in for the week. It's now a tradition on the show. Dennis Petruzzelli. Wants to know, where's the best chicken parm in New Jersey? No, but I am wondering. I'm no hockey coach, but seems to me GG changes the line too much. Players don't have an opportunity to develop as a single unit. Am I off on this? You're not off on that at all. I actually wrote about that uh, for my early story before the Devils game. The Rangers haven't had any continuity this season whatsoever. Negative continuity. I think they've had they've had three stretches of three games where they've had the same lineup. Every other game to game basis has there has been at least one lineup change, whether it was Zach Jones for Libor Hayek, vice versa, Vitaly Krasov having to come out of the lineup because he was injured, especially with Vitaly Krasov. Obviously, that's not something that Gallant can control. But now that the Rangers are fully healthy, he's still changing the lines. And even after the Devils game last night, he admitted he was like, I'm changing the lines too much. But as a coach, I can imagine that the only thing that he has control of when he's standing behind the bench and the Rangers are stinking up the ice in the first period is to change the lines, is to just just change it up, just try to do something different, put out different combinations um, and see if you can spark something. And that's something that Gallant has been doing since he arrived in New York last season. But that being said, there has to come a point where you settle on a, at least a top six combination because the Rangers are a top heavy lineup and their top six is where they get a bulk of their offense, at least settle on a top six combination and just ride with it especially when it comes to Alexi Lafreniere, Capocacco, Philip Hedl. You got to give them an opportunity next to Mika Zibanejad, next to Artemi Panarin. I really like that top six combination with Kako and Lafreniere on the wings of Zibanejad and Hedl next to Artemi Panarin. Whoever is on the right wing, it really doesn't matter. I think that in terms of the organization's future, that's just something that needs to happen. And it's just been put off for too long. It has been a little detrimental to the Rangers how they haven't had any continuity this season. So I would expect or hope that Gallant would settle on a lineup sometime soon and just try to ride with it. Stinking up the ice. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were bad in the first. <laughs> Sometimes you have Chipotle before the game that happens. Well, coming up next on Up in the Blue Seats, we chat with Mr. Devil, Ken Danico. I changed the lines too much. And like I said, I wasn't happy and I just wanted to see what would happen. I'm tired of changing the lines. I really am. But <laughs> you got to you got to do something when you're a coach. And, uh, and like I said, I want the lines to stay the same, but I didn't like what I was seeing. All right. We talked about the Rangers taking down the Devils in a rivalry renewed, or is it? We'll ask our next guest now. He is the Devils color analyst on MSG Networks. You catch him on the NHL Network as well. He's Mr. Devil, three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Devils, playing his entire 20-year career there 
You can also catch him on Cameo if you want a message, as well as signed, S-I-G-N-D. Check it out, signed underscore official on Instagram. Ken Danico, you're a busy man, Ken. You're all over the map these days. How's it going? Welcome to the show. Everything's going well. Thank you. We're in the midst of the season, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, obviously. And obviously, I do NHL Network, so I get to stay on top of all the teams. Yes, I'm uh, a guy that roots for my team. Uh, I've been there 40 years, so obviously, I want my team to do well, and they've started the season very well. You were there Monday night. How electric was that? I mean, obviously, Devils take the big lead early. Rangers come back, win it in overtime. It's exciting times for both these squads right now, but definitely an electric atmosphere on Monday. Yeah, it's always exciting, obviously, when these two teams meet, and finally it can become more of a rivalry again because of the way the Devils have played this year. And frankly, the whole metropolitan area, I mean, the more the better the Islanders, Rangers, Devils are, that's how hockey is at the forefront in the area. So for me, there'd be nothing better than all three teams make the playoffs. I don't know if that's feasible, but, but saying that, that I, I would love that in my time anyway, or how much – uh, time I got left here. I hope that uh, that transpires one day and who knows, maybe this year it's a long shot possibly because it's not easy to make the playoffs. But I think that would be fantastic because uh, that's when you get those rivalries and they heat it up. And that's what it's all about. Great hockey game. A lot of fun from a devil's perspective. Um, yeah, you have two, two goal leads and it's disappointing, but it's not going to go smooth. I, I look at it from a little different angle from from the Devils' perspective, they got a point. For me, it would have been a disaster if they didn't get a point. And the Rangers were opportunistic, and they got elite players that can put the puck in the net. Heedle had a great game, big overtime goal. And the third period for New Jersey was fantastic. They played the way they wanted. They couldn't capitalize. Shesterkin, you tip your cap. He, he made some big saves, two-on-ones and on Hughes and on – Severson in overtime to allow the Rangers to get one play, one scoring opportunity. Great pass from Panarin. That's what happens. That's what this game's about. But big win for the Rangers for sure. But for me, I don't get devastated over that. I, it's a point for the Devils. Every point matters because they are not going to be perfect, which they've been pretty darn good along the way. And they're going to go through tough stretches. This is a tough stretch for them. And if they would have got nothing, it would have been a disaster. They got a point. So that's, for me, I always look at the glass half full, and you have to, I think. And for the Rangers, that's a huge comeback win, and they did what they had to do to get the win. What we're seeing from the likes of Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, et cetera, this is the epitome of a breakout season. What do you feel like the Devils did as an organization that helped foster the development of these players to allow them to get to this point? Because I know Rangers fans are clearly getting frustrated the longer the breakouts of Lafreniere, Kako, and Heedle are pushed off a little bit. Obviously, guys like Hughes and and Heischer, because the team wasn't very good, probably got more opportunity, you know, and sometimes that's what it takes. Did it go perfect for Jack Hughes early on? No, he was a young 18-year-old and didn't produce early on, and he wasn't insulated very well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Cackle and Lafreniere, in my opinion, when you have a team that was, you know, deeper like the Rangers and, and good teams the last couple of years, you have to bide your time. You have to earn those 
minutes. You have to earn power play time. And and obviously when your team's going well, well, you're going to put Zibanejad out there, and Panarin out there, and Kreider out there. That's the obvious because, you know, you went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So that's the balancing act, I believe, in development for coaches, for management, that you have to really gauge. And sometimes players take a little longer than others. Kako has scored a big goal last night for them as well. So for me, uh, Hughes and and Heischer got a little more opportunity. Nico Heischer's always been a 200-foot player, so you didn't have to teach him that as an 18-year-old. And that puts you ahead of the game. He is such a smart, intelligent player. Now his offense is going to another level because he's getting stronger. He's getting uh, bigger, more puck protect- protection, more confident. Hughes, you could see flashes of brilliance even at 18, but you knew it was going to take time because he dominated every level. But to do that in the NHL, you, you got to learn that you can't hang on to the puck as long. You have to see the ice at all times, and, and players are bigger, stronger. Well, the, la- the last half of the last year and this year, you're seeing that elite hockey IQ that we always use, that terminology, and he's really taking it to another level. And he's a special player. He's a star in this league. I, I don't put superstar uh, on a player too lightly or don't take that lightly, and he's on the verge of that, I would think. He's a real good player and, uh, you know, not the biggest player, but when you're as smart and skilled and elusive as Jack Hughes now, he sees the whole ice and he doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions uh, to get hit. So for Kako, and, and, and I'll end it at this, for Kako and Lafreniere, you, you just have to remain patient. They've got great signs of looking like they're going to be different players than he's and Hughes and Heischer, but very successful in their own right. And like I said, Maybe not the opportunities, and now they put those guys in the. I know they've been juggling lines, the Rangers, and I know they got some top line minutes with Zabana Jack. And when you play with a top player, an elite player in the league like Zabana Jack, well, you get excited and you hope it takes you to the next level. And they've had a little success, and they juggled those lines a little bit yesterday. But but these young guys, everybody wants it now. All of us, even us in the media, and I played twenty years, and I was getting impatient with maybe Jack Hughes going, "Is he good? How good is he?" And then when it all started to come together, okay, now I see it. But I, I'd still give it some time with Kako. Certainly Lafreniere because we look at guys just take maybe three, four years sometimes where they really find their stride and there's still time. Right. And I totally agree with your point about how the Rangers are built and how, you know, you don't give the contracts that you did to Chris Kreider, Artemi Panera, and Mika Zibanejad and not want to ride them as your top guys. So, And I totally agree with that. But do you feel like there is an art to the way organizations develop their young talent? Should they be thrown into the fire immediately or ushered along? That's a great question, Molly. And <laughs> Thank if you. I, if, I, if I had the perfect answer, I'd bottle it. And I'd be a millionaire. Yeah, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be a president or a general manager of a hockey team, but, but, right? But having, <laughs> having said that and been around the game a long, long time and certainly with the Devils for 40 years now, which I can't believe, but just watching over the years and development of certain players. And yes, can you rush a player? Absolutely. Is there way more pressure in today's game, especially if you're a top three, top five pick to put them in your lineup too soon? And the pressure of that, absolutely. You see teams do it time and time again. Some guys aren't ready. And I mentioned Jack Hughes is an 18-year-old, probably could have uh, used a year of college. But having said that, you've got to know your mentality of your players. Like Jack Hughes, 
just right away, I, I saw it, such a confident young man. And he was kind of, as much as we get impatient on the outside looking in and, and go, man, I, I hope he's not rushed. I hope he doesn't lose his confidence, you know, get frustrated. I saw in him right from day one, even though he was a young guy and coming in, he was believed in himself. He was a guy that was not going to get deterred. So even through the rough patches and when the team wasn't good and when he was struggling at times, you could tell he was just sitting there waiting to say to everybody, relax, just give me time. I will figure this out because he had such confidence. So I, I think it's important for organizations to understand the mentality of, of guys. I'll give you an example way back in my day. So, and, and it's a funny one. It's a good story. I was 18th overall pick. And obviously I'm not uh, a top five pick that's supposed to make the team right away. And Johnny McLean was sixth overall pick the year after me. I was 18th and 82 and the game was played much different. So I, I was going to be able to show my physicality. It wasn't a much as much about skill at the time. I could get my foot in the door because I was a physical, you know, pretty tough player. And then I could develop my game, right? So that's a little different in the way the game was played. So they were set. I played as a 19-year-old, broke my leg. And as a 20-year-old, they were sending me down. And this is not a word of a lot of guys in camp. And I had an okay camp, but I, I played really well as a 19-year-old, even though our team was terrible. So I expected to make the team, and we we weren't good on the back end, and they told me I was going down. And Tom McVee tells the story, he, and he howls about it still to this day. Well, him and Max McNabb are in the office, and I pointed to their board, and I go, you've got to be kidding me, right? I, I said, are you kidding me? I'm the best defenseman you got. And they had all the, these pins. And I wasn't saying it out of cockiness. I wanted to play so bad, and I knew I was ready to play because I showed it the year before, but I had broken my leg, and I wanted to tell them I was – I, I was still ready, and they they stopped, and, and Tom McVee couldn't believe it. He kind of – they both were lo at a loss for words. They loved my conference, and they kind of said to me, go home, let us think about it. So I made them think about it before they sent me down. Now, flip the page, Johnny McClain was getting sent down, and Tom McVee, and he put it in the paper when they retired my number in 2006. He says, when John McClain came in and he was sixth over pick, only had one goal in his first 23 games, they said they're sending him back to junior – he said it was like the, the weight of the Brendan Byrne Arena where we played was lifted off of his shoulders because the pressure was just getting to him at the time. And John went on and he played with the Rangers as well and had himself an incredible National Hockey League career. But, you know, he kind of needed to go back for that period to, to gain his confidence again and be that dominant player. So that's kind of looking at two players' different personalities and mindsets, right? So I think it's really important nowadays, especially when there's more pressure to get those top, top picks in the lineup, sometimes, yeah, send them down, sending them down might be good. But then sometimes when they got to go back to junior, they've accomplished everything there. So you want to nurture them slowly here. So I don't have a perfect answer. I hope some of those <laughs> examples were good. But I think the best way is to really understand how tough they are mentally and that they can fight through it even when they go through struggles. If a guy can't, well, maybe you got to consider, even if he's a top three pick that, no, let him get more confidence, whether for, if you're fortunate enough, he's a European, you can sometimes send him to the minors. Like our, our second overall pick, Simone Nemec, Nemec is getting to nurture in the American League, which he'd already played with men, and he didn't have to go to junior, which is invaluable, right? That's great for him. So that rule of having to send guys to junior, sometimes kids like Shane Wright, for example, in Seattle, like, He's struggling. Went down, did very well for five games, bring him back, then he gets a goal. It showed his confidence grew a little. But does it benefit him to send him to junior? I'm not so sure. I don't have a perfect 
Panther because he's been dominant there. I know, I think he's, I believe, going to the World Juniors for Canada. So it's a great topic. It's a great conversation, Molly, certainly. And and I hope I gave you somewhat of a roundabout answer, but it's very difficult for sure. And I would think management, for me, it's keeping their confidence up, telling them you believe in them. You know, a lot of it's psychological as well. You mentioned, I like this part about when you send players down, to the American Hockey League or juniors or whatever it may be, sometimes it's not worth it because they've already been so dominant at that level. And the only way for them to continue on an upward trajectory is to only be in the National Hockey League. And I feel like that's been a topic of conversation for a guy like Alexi Lefrenier recently, just because when you look at Kako and, and Philip Heedle, those two have kind of made been more impactful players than Lafreniere has. And it actually segues into a subtext question that we got from uh, Gerald Iacovoni. Is it time to officially be worried about Alexi Lafreniere, his third NHL season, and he looks nowhere close to justifying being the first overall pick in the draft. Julian Gauthier has more goals in fewer games. He's he's starting a pattern of taking bad penalties. He's missing open nets and doesn't seem to be as physically engaged as he used to be. Your take, Ken. Well, you know what? And when you go number one overall, there's a lot of added pressure to to that, obviously. And, you know, and he was a goal scorer everywhere he's played. And sometimes as a player, an individual, you can get frustrated for sure. But I think you have to give it time. I really do. Look, maybe he doesn't develop into that elite 40-goal scorer, but he still can be a valuable player. I think sometimes people put too much emphasis on where you go. He was the consensus number one. Everybody would have taken him number one. It is what it is, right? Now you try to develop him into a good NHL player and make sure he doesn't lose confidence. You know what I mean? Along the way, he's big, he's strong. He wants that consistency, the physicality, because he's going to have to score his goals that way by body position, by using that strength, right? And his shot, he's got to get into position to get his shot off, correct? Because he's got a really good shot. So I think you have to give it more time for sure, but uh, I, I understand at times because we all want it now. We get impatient, whether it's fans, whether it's media, whether it's management, whether it's coaches, right, along the way. But I still feel sometimes bigger guys, guys, just certain players, it can take as much as five years before it kind of sinks in and, and they get it. You know, I mentioned that earlier, but now you go, okay, there it is. You know, But it may not be the level that you expected for a number one overall. Who knows? But it doesn't matter from the standpoint that if he can become a real good, solid NHL player and help your team win, well, that's important as well, right, along the way. A rivalry is always better when both teams are good. You know, this year that's the case. Uh, in the past, when you played, the Rangers and Devils was a true rivalry. Did you hate them? Like, when you went up against, like, did, did you look at their face and said, like, I hate you, Henrik, like, or whoever, that was after your time, but... You know, did you hate those guys? <laughs> We've talked about it many, many times, or I certainly have over my career, and I, I'm obviously very good friends with a lot of former Rangers and grew up with Mark Messi, a lot of people know, and he was a dear friend and a big mentor of mine, actually, growing up in Edmonton, Alberta. I've known him since 12 years old, so give him a lot of credit for really being around all those Oiler dynasties and watching how those guys carry themselves and how Mark did in particular, and and help me become a, an NHL player and be part of something, part of the team and doing, understanding my role and everything. So when, and when he was in Edmonton, we used to send notes to each other or he'd send me notes, him and Kevin Lowe, who I was friends with as well, and would send me notes before the game. Our team wasn't very good. We played twice a year. They always wished me the best and 
send some funny notes. When he came to New York, we barely spoke for two years. So that kind of sums it up. Yes, we hated each other because now it's a rivalry. Now we're buying from the Stanley Cup. Now we were two elite teams that 94 series and 94 year. We were one, two in the National Hockey League in the regular season. So we were the two best teams in the regular season and met in an epic Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so, yeah, there was hatred. The game was played more intimidating back in my time. And I will say, everybody asked, well, could you play today's game? Compare the, you know, I, I go listen to me. The technology, the training, everything's different. No different in business. You, you approach things differently. We trained here. I had to train like a middle linebacker because I knew I had to be big, physical, strong. I used to be an offensive player and, and had a little bit of everything in junior but I had to focus on what was going to keep me in the NHL. And that was being a big, strong physical player. And yeah, having to drop the mitts a handful of times, uh, certainly at the start, first five years of my career. So that's the way we train. If it was different in the way the game's gone, which I loved it. I've gone with the times. I love the high end skill, but that's the way they train now because the game's evolved. It's changed. They protect players at all costs. There's rule changes. I know a lot of people still like the old school hockey, but I understand why it's changed. I get it, and I agree with it because you're protecting players from you know massive head injuries and all those kinds of things. And I think the National Hockey League's done a good job of, of making sure players are protected. And we could see all these the great skilled players, and now we see fourth liners that can toe drag you when a defense goes down. That's why I'm telling defensemen even more so: stay on your feet. These guys are too good. In my day, we could go down against the third and fourth liner. He couldn't make the play. He'd try to saucer it or go in your pads. Now it's not just the top two lines, which we had the greats of Gretzky's, Messier's, Lemieux's, Sackett's. Those guys could play in any era and be dominant in any era, right? But but meaning my era was my era. I loved it. There was probably more hatred. There was probably more of a rivalry. But today's era, I love it too. I, I, I've moved on. And I don't compare really because we would have trained differently. So I don't know. Yeah, I think we would have. I would have worked more in the skill part of the game. But we had to find our niche, right, in the National Hockey League. The only guy I'll tell you I couldn't hate was Brian Leach because he's so graceful, such a nice guy incredible player and we, I, I'd always see him in the summer and I'd joke and I said you know what I and I, I I always prided myself for the most part we always do things we regret you know if I, I'd rather get beat up by the toughest guy in the league than pick on a guy that wasn't that type of player do you know what I mean do anything to stop him and and take him out if you can but I, I was just all one of those guys I hated bullies I hated him on the ice as a guy for the most part and don't get me wrong I'm sure I did it once or twice but, in, but that was my mentality, you know what I mean? And, you know, I'd much rather get, like I said, challenge the toughest guy and maybe not do so well kind of thing than beat up a guy that I know I can beat up <laughs> or physically take advantage of. That's my mentality on the ice, off the ice, even as a little kid. Um, and Leach was such a classy guy. And another guy who I had, you know, besides Mark, who, like I said, was a mentor, and you can name so many guys, but Mike Richter, what a great goalie. He was a huge difference and just a gentleman and get to see him at charity events. And Adam Graves, we did battle a lot in front of that. He was strong as a bull and a great goal scorer. And boy, I, I would cross-check him over the back a, a lot. And he would barely budge, but he took it and he would just do what he had to do and he'd give it back. And then I've gotten to know him off the ice. And I will tell you, I, I've heard it from a lot of Ranger fans or other people in general in the hockey world. He truly is the most uh, sincere, heartfelt, nice guy there is. And I love that because, you know, yeah, we hated each other when we played and we had to compete. But I have such respect for 
for guys after the game when you find out you become good friends. Ty Dome was a young, tough ranger. He'd always challenge me. I was I was already 10, 11 years into the league. I'm going, not again, Ty. You know, I really don't don't enjoy, you know, you hitting me or me trying to hit your head. That's the hardest thing that I've ever hit. I'm friends with him now. He's a great guy. He's got a good heart. We were competitors. You know what I mean? That's what, what it was all about. You find out you're a lot of like, five, 10 years after your career. Maybe the first few years, you're still skeptical skeptical to get to know the guy. But our era was fun because there was a lot of hatred for sure. And that's that's the way you competed. I felt if I got too close or was nice to a guy, it was going to take away from what I had to do. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting. Like then on an off day, you weren't getting beers with mess. Like now after your career, sure. But like on a Thursday, you're both off. You're not going to the, you're not going to marquee on a Thursday night and pumping your fist. Uh, with mess, but now after your career will. So today I feel like everyone, they're friends on Instagram. Like, you know, <laughs> Jets are friends with the Giants. Mets are friends with the Yankees. It's just different. And everyone's pals. Where it, you're it is what, you up your ass. It is what it is. But uh, at a few watering spots in New York, when we had a little more fun in the 80s or, or 90s when Mark was in New York, I happened to run into a few of the guys. And I wouldn't talk too much to many players but when mark was there we would give a hug because we had to because of uh, the friendship went too deep then then that was it we made sure nobody saw us do that <laughs> and, and we'd have a few laughs and maybe a quick beer and that that was it and then all right mark see you later let's no, no more talk <laughs> and go to our own our own crowd <laughs> yeah no shared shots of tequila in the same group i, I, I couldn't lie about that but it's <laughs> <laughs> Ken Danica, you can check him out at MSG. What's it called now? Sportsnet, right? They changed the name from MSG Plus to MSG Sportsnet. I'm trying uh, to keep up, but yes. <laughs> yeah, they keep changing everything these days. NHL Network as well. Follow him on Twitter at Ken Danico MSG. Check him out on Sign and on Cameo. Ken, great to uh, catch up with you. Maybe we'll talk to you in the playoffs. Rangers, Devils in the playoffs. How about that? Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Like everything's we, we go look at yesterday's game and the fans, I love it. The passion, both fans, and they want their team to win. It's one game, but they take it to the umph degree. But wouldn't there be nothing better than a playoff series, right? It would, it would be epic. That that would be epic. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Have a great day. Great comeback from the team. We showed our character and uh good two points. Nice pass from our Timmy and I just shoot, I score goal. All right, Molly, that wraps up episode 105 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz for helping me in producing the show. Ken Danico, great guy, great answers. I always wonder about those rivalries because they legit hate each other. There was no Instagram DMs. They weren't following each other. There was no cameo to connect with former athletes. These guys really did despise each other. It's just so much more friendly today, which isn't a bad thing. The game has evolved. Things have changed. But these guys legit hated each other it was just they weren't you know they couldn't they were sending carrier pigeon messages to contact the other person where today they're just messaging they text each other and it's a lot different no doubt obviously the the rivalries were a lot more intense back then but i still think that if all three of the tri-state area teams are able to make the playoffs this season i mean just how epic would that be it's it's totally a possibility and i'm excited to see how it unfolds well how was your trip as we catch up on molly's adventures around the globe i 
imagine you didn't hit the penny slots, but did you enjoy your stay in Vegas? Anything fun of note? Of course, it was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun in Vegas. They redid their their opening show. It's even more exciting than it than it was last season, which I don't know how that was possible, but it's always a great time when you go to Vegas. It was a little cold in, in Denver, but kind of got the same cold welcome when I came back to New York, so it almost prepared me for it. Winter has fully arrived here in New York. It felt like it, we skipped the fall and went straight to winter. It is cold. You hear it in a lot of our voices. You hear it in mine. Lots of tea, lots of honey for Molly Walker. I'm Jake Brown. Thanks to Ken Danico for also joining us. We'll be back next week. The Christmas season is upon us. We'll talk to you all next week right here on Up in the Blue Seats.